me personally as a creative and I think a lot of different artists find that the only way you kind of move past emotions that can maybe be so painful and events that can maybe be so painful is turning them into something that you can look at and be like, well, at least this is beautiful. My name is Wes Gibbons and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of a conversation with writer and director Nicole Barley. We discussed our collaboration on her upcoming short film, Lighthouse Keeping, how we think the film industry should improve, and the tangible impact of women-led film sets. Don't forget to check out the video episode on our YouTube channel. Links to that and all of our socials is in the description of this episode. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 64 of the Tungsten Originals Podcast. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Had a lot of coffee, so I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) I'm just going to start sending the guests wherever they are. I'm just going to Uber Eats them a ton of coffee so we can just start on a a high and then we'll plummet (laughs) as the episode goes on. Cracked out the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Nicole, this is really exciting. You are a fantastic writer and director and Tungsten is currently helping out on your next short film called Lighthouse Keeping. And I definitely want to talk about that and your other shorts and, you know, all the amazing stuff that you made so far. But before we get into all that, I want to go back to the beginning and find out how you got into all of this. Um, I know you're from Florida, but I don't really know how you started filmmaking in general. So where does this all begin for you? Yeah, so when um, I was growing up in Florida, I was a theater kid big time. And I started from like a very young age. I I think like four years old, I started doing kind of the like Christmas pageants at church. And then I graduated from that to doing local theater. And where I grew up, we actually have a really nice theater program, like just in the city. We have one of those theaters where like Broadway tours will come and perform. Mm. And so a lot of good opportunities for, for acting on the stage. And I did that for about 15 years. And I applied to SCAD as performing arts. And so my first two quarters at SCAD, I was a performing arts major. And up until that point, I had never really delved into the film world, never really understood it or, or was even like really given an opportunity to see what it looks like uh, until I went to SCAD. The first thing that I acted in was a little like proof of concept thing. And I was able to see everyone do the behind the scenes work, direct that whole mess that happens. And I loved it. Um, and I just had a burning passion to do that instead. At the time, I was like really burnt out mm-hmm. from having acted basically my entire life. And while I do, like, I still love it, filmmaking and like seeing that side of that world, the behind the camera side was so interesting to me when I first discovered it that the passion was so large that I just went full force with it. Mm. I just, I didn't switch my major though until my third quarter of my freshman year. Um, so I really only did about, I think three or four quarters of like film classes or, or officially being a film major. Cause I, I am no longer in school. Mm. I'm no longer studying filmmaking, but that is where that sort of like, passion stemmed from was just getting the opportunity to see what it was like to be a filmmaker and realize that it was something I wanted to do because as an actor you don't have that much 
creative influence in terms of like actual content that's being made you're kind of you're given a script and you can put as much you know of your own spin on whatever it is that you're making but you don't have any sort of like actual you know creative direction in it or things like that and so getting mm-hmm. to see that that's even an option for me uh was huge and really spurred the switch from performing arts to film did you ever consider doing like acting and directing or acting and producing because there are a lot of like like brad pitt has plan b productions you know like a huge production company that he finances stuff but he is of course also an actor so was that ever uh, an interest like still doing the acting side or you just wanted to like full force go into the behind the camera stuff i think when i first switched over it was more so that i had been acting for so long that i didn't have as much of the passion to continue doing it fully as compared to you know this bright shiny new film thing and so i definitely wasn't I was still doing acting things on the side. There's a couple of things that I acted in just for friends while I was at SCAD. And Mm -hmm. I do still see myself doing acting further down the road. But it also became a whole thing Mm. where um, it logistically, um, it's hard to make it as a performer and just kind of stay afloat financially. And I think we're, we're similar people in the sense that like we're very creative people but we also like to think about things as like from a very logistical standpoint as well as like i need to feed myself i need to like do all these things so (laughs) you need to do what you have to do and with performing arts and acting it's so much harder um it's a lot easier Mm -hmm. to have a well-paying job in film than it is to be an actor or an actress so the plan essentially i guess in the back of my mind i don't really i don't navigate it in order to achieve this plan but I would love to, you know, make a living doing film and therefore because I would be financially stable enough to be able to like audition in free time. I just I didn't want to like depend my entire financial income on getting roles. It just was very the idea of it was very, very stressful to me. And filmmaking in general is so stressful. But just that living a life like that to me was so anxiety ridden that I just I, I wanted something like a little bit more stable, I think. I think that is like not talked about enough is that realization of like you we go from I say we, I should talk about myself. You go from I went from being like this bright eyed, bushy tailed teenager who wanted to make stuff and like you you are still that way in college where like the you know, the world is your oyster and you're gonna change the world and everything. And that's like a you should think that, like, because and people should continue to think that as long as they can. But then you get close to graduation. You're like, oh, I have to pay for things. <laughs> and obviously there are people mm-hmm. that are actors and are financially stable. And like there's thousands of those people, millions if not. You know, like a lot of people are able to do that. And it is attainable, but it is a harrowing thing to think about like having to support yourself. But you still need that creative agency i know you and i have talked a lot about wherever we work we know we're not gonna have our dream job right away but we, we need some kind of creative agency we, we want to help in the making of something but that can be kind of hard to reckon with you yeah know? i know that you're you're a fantastic screenwriter and you know I, I think there are a lot of people that are like writers and directors there are some people that are more writers than they are directors some people that are mostly directing, but you're one of those people that I know through SCAD that I think about, like she is like 
a writer writer. I don't know if that makes any sense, but <laughs> I, I just love your writing so much. I, of course, read your Thank Lighthouse you. Keeping script and loved it. So I did some research. I listened to uh, some other interviews that you did. From what I understand, you've been writing for basically forever, right? Yeah. So I, it's always been my like favorite subject in school, even when it was just kind of like intellectual mm -hmm. writings of just essays that we had to do, you know, as a requirement for classes. I, I liked writing them. It was never a, a burden mm -hmm. for me. And I was always just that kid that would write short stories in like notebooks and tell myself at like the age of 10 that I was going to release a novel. And then obviously that's not, <laughs> I still have the writings like in leather bound books and stuff like that, which is yeah. like looking back on it, it's absolute nonsense. But from a very young age, I was kind of coming <laughs> up with these like <laughs> imaginative stories. And as time went on, I became really, really interested in poetry. And that has been a really big outlet for me. And I think it's super, at least important to me when it comes to translating my writing to scripts. Because when, when I've had people read my screenplays, this goes for like professors as well. The biggest takeaway that people tell me is that the action and some of the word choices are like way more descriptive than most screenplays are. And I've found that like a lot of the way that I write in poetry, which is super, super romanticized writing, translates to screenplays. And I think that's kind of just the way that my writing has has morphed. I enjoy, you know, that system that I've created. I like to think of the idea, write it super, super abstractly, normally in poetry form, and then kind of shift into how do you, you know, make this an actionable thing? How do you translate this into actual blocking? But yeah, I've, I've always loved writing. It's always been a huge part of me. It just was never, ever something that I capitalized on or even was something that I thought that I could make a living out of. But having gone into film, and kind of establishing myself as a director, I think it's it's a lot easier to kind of morph the two, like writer and director together, and just come up with your own ideas. So it's definitely been a very new thing for me to actually take creative agency over my writing and you know have the idea that I can actually use my writing for a career and and turn it into something rather than you know just letting it sit around in notebooks so it's exciting yeah yeah i'm sure so what i think is interesting and and why i respect you and the other talented screenwriters that i know so much is that like you're able to both write and direct your own things like write something that you know that you will be in charge of but also write scripts for other people and, and kind of pass that along. And, you know, writing, no matter what the, you could be talking about yourself or not, but like, that's a very vulnerable thing to do. You have to, you're really putting yourself out there um, in a similar way in which the director is. So how do you, do you, you approach scripts differently, like Roots in Lighthouse Keeping, which you know from the beginning, you're gonna be the director versus scripts that you have worked with other filmmakers on and you know that you aren't gonna be the one necessarily calling the shots? Uh, I think it's definitely a, a line that I've had to walk and I'm still kind of navigating it because sometimes when I write scripts for other people, I do find myself putting things 
in the script that I know that if I was the, the director, I would block these characters in a certain way, but that doesn't mean that that director is going to, you know, receive the script in that way and want to do the exact same thing. And so a lot of the time it's been like having to navigate this process of omitting things from the script as well, where I'll go back and read it and be like, that's the director stepping in. That's me thinking what I would make these characters do, but it's not necessarily what this person, you know, is going to eventually do for their own characters. And you don't want to give someone a script with, you know, your preconceived blocking of how it should go because mm -hmm. that's taking away their creative agency. So it's, it's definitely a fine line. I think it's something that I would hope a lot of screenwriters deal with. Cause I definitely have, or I guess writer directors. I think when you, when you have, a concept or idea that you're writing a lot of the times at least from my perspective I get so passionate about it regardless of whether it's a concept that I came up with like if it was just given to me by someone if I'm writing the script I care about these characters and I care about what I'm writing about that it the director and me kind of gets protective over it almost and so I find myself um you know imagining how I would direct it myself but obviously when it comes down to it you kind of create this piece that it's kind of a hard process. Actually, you create this piece that you have this emotional connection to, and it's like giving a baby to someone else. And then you're just like, yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> do what you, do what you must with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is like that. I, that's what I, I wanted to, to touch on is because like, I feel like if someone hired me, quote unquote, hired me and they were like, write a script about this, and someone else is going to direct it. I feel like I'd get halfway through and be like, damn, I wish I was directing this, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there was even, um, I'm writing a script for my friend Jansen right now, who's a SCAD student. It's not his senior thesis. It's like a directing a narrative kind of thing. Uh, but he asked me to write a script mm -hmm. and we're, we're definitely, it's, it's been a long, hard process because we both have such concrete ideas of like what we want mm -hmm. to do and because and you both are directors yes, as well which is a whole like yeah. even when i was writing juliana's script that was a whole kind of issue like what i was talking about when i would kind of insert my direction into a script mm -hmm. knowing that her being the director she was probably going to do something else it's that walking that fine line of two directors meeting and and kind of needing to tell yourself like this although i'm writing this story it's not really mine at the end of the day like i'm i'm gonna give it up and it's gonna probably morph into something else and that's okay it's just needing to kind of come to terms with it i would i would even say like it's almost an ego thing of your own writing and kind of being yeah. able to like let it go and be like well i don't i don't need like that insane creative agency over this because it's not mine it's mm -hmm. it's like having to come to terms with giving up a story that you wrote that wasn't meant for you to direct, essentially. But mm -hmm. there's even instances where, with Jansen, and we're working on a script right now, I gave him a poem that I really, really liked that I wrote, and eventually was kind of like, I actually like this so much that I actually changed my mind, I don't want to give it away <laughs> in case I ever want to direct it. And so you get down, like, I don't know, these different, or you have these different moments where you kind of fall in love with writing so much that you almost don't want to put it up for adoption essentially and i think a lot of screenwriters mm -hmm. feel that way i 
I'm curious to know, because I'm obviously not old enough to be in any sort of, you know, I'm not in TV being a screenwriter. I'm curious to know what it's like to write like episodes for TV and just have it be like you're writing, but it truly is, you know, just something you have to crank out and give away all the time. Like, I wonder how creatively that feels, I guess. Right. I also wondered the same thing about directing TV because I had a professor at SCAD, Professor Sadwith, who has been on the podcast before. I think it's episode 21, maybe, if anyone wants to go listen to it. This episode came out forever ago, but he has directed like episodic TV before. And I remember in class asking him about what that's like, because when you come in, like Breaking Bad, for example, there's six seasons and you obviously can't come in like the the director. It doesn't have the same director for every episode. So a director can't come in and, and change everything. They can't make it look like the office or something like, you know, there is obviously a style that they need to follow, but still you're the director. (laughs) And so you're still going to influence and change things. And I was asking him about that. And he said, basically in that sense, you're kind of a hired gun um, where you're given the script and you're giving the show that, has an identity and the audience is already connected to it with these certain things. And then you kind of just like, I guess, insert yourself as much as you can. But I mean, that's something that I've been, that I'm still learning about and watching happen like on SVU, you know, the show has been on for 22 years. I'm on the 22nd season. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how those directors handle those changes. So yeah, I do. It would be really interesting to talk to like TV writers who work in writers rooms and just like see how much they get to influence, you know? Yeah, I think it eventually, because thinking of examples of things like that, at least when they bring in directors, I'm thinking of like the Harry Potter series, as cliche as that is. Right. The um, Prisoner <laughs> of Azkaban, which in my opinion is by far the best Harry Potter movie. It's like a fan favorite, yeah. Because yeah. It's, it's directed by Alfonso Cuaron, and it's aesthetically mm-hmm. so different from the other ones, but it's beautiful. Uh, and just in terms right. of the art, but it's the same story as the, as the other ones and the right. characters act the same. And it's like a whole cyclical thing. Like it, it matches up with all the other ones. It's just a striking aesthetic and you can look at it and be like, that feels different. Um, in my opinion, it feels yeah. better than most of the other movies, but it's, it's situations like that. I think where you kind of have to follow um, a formula um, of success of whatever you're given just kind of like you can't stray from this because it's obviously what works to that extent but you can add a little bit of spice to it and and that yeah that yeah spice but is, in the same way we hired you because you're a good director and we want to have your influence so like it is such an interesting balancing act yeah but in that same way i wonder how would you feel directing something that someone else wrote i don't know i i think i don't know in my head writing and directing are so at least with my own process so morphed together that I've never really even thought about what I would do in an instance like that which I think is why I gravitate so much towards freelance work and you know being hired on by an agency and kind of like being able to write your own treatments and then you get to direct and you're not really dealing with a lot of like like you're saying the instances in which you're given a script for a successful TV show. And, you know, this is stuff that's all been predetermined. You just need to come in and like figure out where the actors stand to me, you know, not having been through that, I've never directed something that wasn't my own writing 
but it does in you know concept form seem slightly stifling mm-hmm. creatively but i do think it would be interesting to try it i i do just think that it's when i'm putting forth the effort to decide that i'm going to direct something i want to be able to have that creative agency over the writing because in my mind they're so morphed together so it'd be hard to separate the two i think yeah yeah i i totally agree so i want to talk about your directorial debut speaking of directing roots is the first short film that you have written and directed and boy, do I have to say, I wish the first thing I ever made was as good as Roots. I absolutely loved Roots. I, I've watched it multiple times. I really connected with it. And obviously audiences did too, because it got into some pretty respectable film festivals, especially um, Nifty, which is the, what is it? The New York Film Festival for Talented Youth or North American Film Festival? What's the exact the title? The National. National. National Film Festival. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it recently premiered online. So whenever you're listening to this episode, you can go into the description and watch it after this interview. I highly recommend it. But, you know, walk us through Roots because what I really love about the Roots story, like the story of making it and something you've talked on a lot, is that it was the the first opportunity for a lot of people working on it to do the role that they want to do professionally. It was the first opportunity you had to both write and direct, the first opportunity that Dallas Jenkins had to be a DP. I want to be able to capture that feeling on every project because you can just tell by watching the film and looking at the BTS that it was just a blast to make and everyone was kind of in their flow state creatively. So can you kind of walk us through, well, first explain to those who don't know what Roots is about and then walk us through that process. Yeah, Roots um, is a story that takes place in the year 1977. So it's a period piece of sorts, at least in the very beginning, of a young deaf boy that lives off the grid and has developed this friendship with a tree in order to kind of, you know, have companionship and a sense of community out in the middle of nowhere. And it's more so like a metaphorical statement on how important it is to feel understood and to feel heard and how humans most of the time will go to great lengths in order to have that, you know, sense of understanding with someone else. And it, you know, at least for me, creating Roots was kind of this weird amalgamation of making the short film. I wanted it to be something that was very, me because in the, at the time I had, I don't think I had even switched to film at the point where I decided I was going to make roots. I think it was like, I'm going to make this and then decide if I'm going to switch. But then the hmm. film ended up getting put off so much due to weather issues that I think I switched in the middle of it, but it, I wanted it to be, you know, this perfect encapsulation of the kind of content that I want to make because at the time I thought maybe I'll never make another short film again. And so what I'm mm. making right now needs to be, you know, something that I actually care about and something that I think, you know, displays who I am as a creative. And so choosing to kind of have this super weird idea of a tree that can speak to someone like telepathically was a huge part of just me <laughs> in terms of personality as a creative, but also the idea of bringing a community into a narrative that isn't normally at the forefront of media is kind of the 
just creative statement that I live by as a creator, um, bringing voices forward that aren't normally um, brought forward. Because I think that even being in the position to make a film is super privileged in the first place. And if you have the opportunity to share voices that wouldn't normally have the means to be shared, I think it's almost or should be a requirement of the artistic community, in my opinion. And so I wanted this kind of, you know, mashup of these two. And it actually only came to fruition because Dallas came to me. Um, and at that time, I think he wants to do camera operating more so now. But at the time, he wanted to be a director of photography. And he came to me and said, hey, I know you like to write. Can you write a script? And we'll actually make it. Um, and it ended up being a super long process. It was like pre-production was like close to a year because we kept having, um, it was interesting because I was so young doing it and I didn't have anything to show for what I could do. It was hard to get a crew together and right was a huge reason as to why so much of the crew was made up of just friends and kind of like this blind trust, not saying that I don't trust my friends to be amazing creatives, but it like none of us had anything to show for what we were capable of. So it was just kind of like, yeah, we, we like trust each other as humans so we can make something great. And so we put together uh, this team of, I think it was about 40 people for this set. And we filmed it in the middle of the woods for, I think it was three days. Um, however, it was put off quite a few times. I think it was pushed three separate times because every single shot is exterior. So anytime there was rain, we had to push it, which was a whole thing. But yeah, being on set, I also wanted to capture my favorite movie of all time is Swiss Army Man, if you know it. And if you watch the behind the scenes of Swiss Army Man, it's the greatest thing in the world. It's just a bunch of friends in the middle of the woods, like making something so stupid. Like Swiss Army Man is <laughs> is a beautiful, beautiful film, and which is debatable. Some people hate it, but like metaphorically, yeah. such a beautiful film in my opinion. It's my favorite film of all time. But when you look at the behind the scenes and you see the way that they created it, it was so just like ragtag. And these people that are just a bunch of friends, like wanting to make something. The directors of it normally made music videos, like insane music videos. I think they did the turn down for what music video, and that was like the last thing they did before Swiss Army Man. Wow, I did yeah. not know that. <laughs> yeah, and so they just all they had was like <laughs> these, um, like this chaotic reel of past work, and these people that have worked mm. on just like insane projects. Uh, making a feature. And so having watched that creative process ever since then, I've just wanted to emulate it. And that was a huge thing mm -hmm. with Roots was I just want to have all my friends in the woods and I want to make something that we all care about and we all feel like, you know, we're having a position in which we actually have creative influence. Because obviously at that time, most of us were PAing on senior theses and things like that. So we didn't really have any sort of say or leadership um in any sort of film and so roots was kind of just like a big rookie thing that happened um and ended up being something that i'm really proud of and i think a lot of the crew is really proud of being able to get done 
Yeah, I mean, y'all, everyone should be proud of it because I, I really, really connected with it. Um, it's one of the favorite like student short films I've ever seen. So the first day or the the night before, you're you're finally about to shoot. You've had to push back shooting days three times, and it's taken a month of pre production, and you're about to direct a crew of forty people for the first time ever. My first crew was two people. <laughs> um, what's going through your mind? Um, I think, <laughs> I think my conscious mind took a backseat. I think I was on full, <laughs> like, right. just adrenaline because I already yeah. deal with such, um, insane imposter syndrome. And I think a lot of creatives do. Um, but especially at that moment, it's kind of just like, there's that many people depending on me, um, and taking their free time. They're not being paid because it's a student short. Um, and so the last thing you want to do is waste people's time. And also as a director, all eyes are on you at that moment. Exactly. And if you've never done it before, it's the scariest thing ever. Um, I was terrified what was happening. It was also like five in the morning when we first started shooting. So I was like sleep deprived, terrified, like starting something that I'd never done before. Um, but at the same time, I had so many people that had my back throughout the process uh which i which is why i think it's so important to find people that you really trust and that you know on a base level are just supportive of you no matter what because if you're a director um or any kind of creative and you're in a position where you know if you're a director your thoughts being out there and like your your concepts and ideas i think it's a super vulnerable position to be in regardless of what the content is and so if you don't have people around you that you know are going to make you feel like you're doing a good job regardless of whether you feel like you are or not it's so important and so making roots and having um it's such a close relationship with dallas and with kenzie and just kind of you can see in a lot of the the behind the scenes videos of just like us three together and kind of you know having that support network of those close friends um kenzie being the first ad and so like the relationship between a director dp and the first ad is all super important but being able to have the relationship of like all very close friends helped a lot in terms of the imposter syndrome and just being able to, you know, feel comfortable doing something that was so new. Yeah. I think that, uh, mutual trust is one of the most important things because like you can have, if, if you're looking at two different DPs to hire and one, you know, really well, and you trust with your life, but maybe they don't have an, as much experience as this other person that has done bigger and better things but you've never worked with before and they're maybe kind of an asshole. Like I'm choosing the person that I've worked with before every time mm -hmm. because that like at the end of the day, if you can't work together, then it's not going to happen. Like, and there will be points. Um, like you said, the pressure is so high. There's going to be a lot of points on set where everyone, their heads all pivot to you <laughs> and they're like, all right, boss, what's next yeah. <laughs> or at the final shot you, you yell cut and they're like all right are we done and then <laughs> for me then I run through <laughs> it feels like time stops and I just run through this whole whole thing in my head of like are we done do we need to do more blah 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 and and so you know the buck stops with you so like having a crew that trusts you but also you trusting your crew to carry out what they need to carry out 
is so interesting that whenever it works and like whenever you find those situations it's it's like magic i feel like yeah I, and also with every like the director is the director but take away any other role and you don't have a film so it's yeah exactly every exactly. every single position is so so important and i've been on sets myself where a director doesn't have a good relationship with other people on the set and you normally it the film can crash and burn from that point forward um even without mm -hmm. like a finished product and so if you don't have that kind of mutual respect which in my opinion and we've talked about this before like off screen should be bare minimum of filmmaking is like yeah. respecting the people you work with but if you don't have that it's like not it's not conducive to any sort of like great finished product in my opinion mm. and also even if the finished product ends up being good i think that the people involved deserve to have good emotions towards something they worked on as well totally. you know you want to have a good network of people that actually want to uplift a film rather than be like oh that was absolute hell to work on and therefore yeah. like i don't care if it succeeds you know you want to have the people around you you know recognizing that they had a good time and it was worth the the effort to make the film right right because especially at our level when we're not paying people yet yeah people are giving us their time and that's the one resource that none of us can get back so i have such a fear and anxiety of someone working on my film and then it's over and they're like oh i i hated that experience and i don't think that's happened so far knock on wood but <laughs> that is definitely something that i think about is like how how do you make it worth each other's times? Because, you know, you always want people who are going to latch on to the idea as much as you like with Roots. Obviously, Dallas cared about the story. Obviously, Demi and Jenna, you know, the DP and production designer, respectively, for Lighthouse Keeping, which we'll get to in a second. Obviously, they care about the story because they wouldn't be doing it. But at the end of the day, everyone is there because of you, you know, because of the writer and director. And if you know, so you're the one that is like kind of benefiting most from that experience. So making sure that they are comfortable and like happy and getting to input what they can input, I think is super important. And, um, a director, I think that really emphasizes this is Olivia Wilde. Like she just wrapped a, a film. I don't know what it's called or even what it's about. Um, but she posted on her Instagram story or on her Instagram, like, look at these PAs. They, we couldn't have done it without them. And like, I know that that's a small gesture, but as a PA <laughs> that yeah. felt so good to see that, like there are still highly successful directors that like understand that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's hard to, I don't know. I, I was talking to someone else about this recently and we've talked a lot about it as well, just kind of, cause we're both in the doing the PA gigs. Um, and that's hard. And I don't think people really, even talk about that in film school, like how actually physically draining it is um, and how yeah. uh, just the mental gymnastics you go through of like waking up in the morning and, and going to go do it because you know that in the future, hopefully it'll benefit you and get you to where you want to be. Um, but having the, the difference between a crew that treats you kindly and a crew that treats you not kindly is like at least from a PA's position like your entire mental health 
Um, and I think recognizing that as, and I think both of us, as we, you know, move up um, as time goes on in the film world, I think we'll carry um, that with us of just kind of like the mutual respect is so important um, and kind of creating this world where the norm is kindness instead of this sort of like abrasive meanness and harshness that exists in the film world from past generations. Not saying it's their fault. I think it's something that's been carried on just culturally. Um, but I do mm -hmm. think that us as a generation is slowly, you know, accepting the fact that it doesn't need to be that way. And it actually helps to create something a lot better when you have people on a crew who want to wake up at four in the morning and work on it because yeah. they and know the work people. 12 to 14 hours. Exactly. Because they know the people there care about them. That difference between like, mm -hmm. if you feel cared for or not is so, so huge in film. Yeah. And one of the, one of the pillars of like why tungsten exists is to usher in a more fair and just industry. And that has to deal a lot with like diversity and the stories we're telling and, and the people on crews that we're using to tell those stories. But also it has to deal with just treating people nice. And that is something that like, you know, a lot of our peers are in our similar position of doing the, the PA grunt work and moving up the ladder. And I respect those people a lot mm -hmm. because I understand firsthand how difficult it is. Um, and that's just gotta, that's one thing that like, I, I, I think about a lot whenever hopefully tungsten is like a big company and doing big things that I always, I'm never going to forget that I was a PA waking up at 4am to do an hour commute each way to go work 12 to 14 hours, minimum wage, you know, like I, that will always be with me mm -hmm. because I never want to lose like that humbleness. Not that I'm assuming that I'm going to be like some crazy big successful person, but like, I don't know. I, I sometimes I'll see stuff and I want to be like, you know, you started somewhere too, right? Like yeah. you did, you weren't birthed and then became this amazing person. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that is also just a general generation thing and a cultural thing that is changing mm -hmm. and definitely something from how I like our peers and how I see other sets run at our level that I think will change, but it's going to, it's going to take a while for sure. Yeah. It's a whole, not to, you know, blame any kind of generation or assume that anyone older than us is capable of, of harshness on set. It just tends to be more of a trend um, of just kind of like, mm -hmm. because I was treated poorly, I'm going to treat others poorly. Um, and hopefully I think we're graduating, um, you know, away from that. Not to say that I haven't, you know, filmmaking is so stressful, like slipping up sometimes yeah. and yelling at someone happens because everything is so high stakes. Mm -hmm. And if you're, you know, sleep deprived and you, your brain's crazy, like sometimes things happen, but you know, like on a regular basis, you want to always have that kind of just baseline kindness. No. And also, even if you do get like yelled at sometimes, if I know most of the time this person really cares about me and has my back, it's so much easier then to just okay. be like, oh, they're stressed. Like rather yeah. than be like, oh, this is such a toxic environment. Like, you know, hating your self and going to work every day and hating it like there's such a difference it changes everything yeah it totally does like 
like you said, getting flip, like slipping up one time is, is something everyone does that in any industry. We are, we're humans and we are in, we are fallible people, Yeah. but whenever it becomes five to 10 times, then it's like, all right, well, this is just your personality. And now you're not going to get any hard work out of me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to work I, for you. That, <laughs> yeah. That demotivates everyone. Yeah. So, um, I, I did hear something, um, I heard someone say like, well, there always has to be someone on set that people hate. And I immediately rejected that because like, yes, there needs to be sternness and there needs to be rules that are followed. And like, you, you, you have to get the shot when you got to get the shot and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, we can't just throw our hands up and just like kind of waltz through the day and, and take super long to shoot stuff. Like there are boxes that we need to tick. But I, I don't think there ne there needs to be a standard of of the hated person on set. Like you you can enforce rules nicely, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I also think that there's what I guess the um the middle ground of that almost is like even if you're gonna be someone who's on set and you're going to you know be super stern all the time, um this I think is falls more into like the stereotypical first ad personality and i know a lot of amazing first ad's but it's kind of like yeah. this person runs the set and therefore they can sometimes be not the nicest person i think it's also so easy and ch changes a lot if like most of the time maybe you're being super stern and you're yelling if you can pull someone aside and be like hey are you okay like how are you doing today like are you feeling okay and even just establishing almost the this like safe spaces exist um, and even though I'm stressed and I'm, I'm yelling at you in this aspect, you know, it's not personal and I'm going to pull you aside and tell you that I care about you kind of thing. I think it's so easy and we'll probably end up being this middle ground that we reach at least in, you know, the next couple of years. I would hope so. Yeah. And explaining in that talk, like, Hey, the reason I'm yelling at you is because like we have, and, and obviously this, this talk can always be done in the moment because the mm -hmm. clock is ticking, but just explaining like, Hey, I'm sorry this happened, but like we had two actors drop out two hours ago and had to do all this kind of stuff. Like blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just trying to do my job. Like, like, like you said earlier, just to, to, to cap this discussion, if you treat people, <laughs> this is cheesy. It's the golden rule. If you treat people the way you want to be treated, my goodness, are they going to want to work? so much harder and are they going to yeah. make better stuff uh otherwise um so I'm, I'm glad we are both pas because not that we were terrible people <laughs> or mean directors before this but like it's just really <laughs> good to have this reference <laughs> um you know before we yeah. before yeah. we get to where we want to get so um i'm glad we touched on that because like you said you're not really not really told about that in film school like hey you're going to be pa and it's probably going to suck a good bit <laughs> you're going to get walked over a little bit um, so yeah, that's definitely a reality. Um, but you know, I want to talk about lighthouse keeping, which is your short that we're filming in like a couple weekends right around the corner. Uh, <laughs> uh <-oh. laughs> um, and we announced, I guess a couple months ago that lighthouse keeping is now part of the tungsten family. And I'm so excited to be a part of the project now. <laughs> I'm so glad to, you know, put tungsten's name on it because the way the story that it's telling and the way that you run things really exemplifies what i'm trying to do with tungsten um and so 
us working together just kind of makes a lot of sense, I think, and it, it feels really good to be working on it. So can you explain to the audience what Lighthouse Keeping is about? Yeah, Lighthouse Keeping um, is this experimental surreal narrative about um, a couple that is staying in a cabin. And it's essentially a story about what it feels like to have PTSD. Um, and it's supposed to be this super, it's so hard to explain it sometimes because it was written from such um, an emotion heavy space in my own head. And I've talked about this before to several other people where it's almost putting logic to the script sometimes takes away from the point of the story, I guess. Um, but a lot of like the meaning behind Lighthouse Keeping is essentially to give the audience a glimpse into the emotions that come out and the feelings that are associated with PTSD and what it can feel like in your head when you deal with those things. Um, so it's this story that deals with, you know, the perception of time and of memory and, and missing memories from, you know, when you have PTSD and kind of these interpersonal relationships that stem from any kind of situation. A lighthouse keeping is specifically about, um, you know, an abusive relationship, but it also highlights, you know, what it would feel like if you deal with PTSD from, you know, a neglectful childhood or things like that. There's so many things that cause the disorder other than uh, warfare, which is normally the, you know, preconceived idea of what PTSD is, which 100% does mm -hmm. exist. And uh, I think does reflect the content in Lighthouse Keeping anyway, of just that kind of being trapped in these emotions all the time, even as your life goes on um, outside these walls of your mind, essentially. Um, but yeah, Lighthouse Keeping is just supposed to be, we're supposed to give people a sort of empathetic glance into what that feels like. Yeah, and I really respect you as a writer because you write personally and you you use the thing like you use your life experiences to uh kind of dictate the stories that you're telling um i do that as well like grief is is a large part of my writings it's certainly a large part of blueberries um and so i i'm always like i always have such a a, a deep respect for people like that because it's difficult to dig in and open yourself up to the world you know obviously it's not a documentary and um you're it's not saying like hey this happened to me here's my exact experience but it is it's still very personal yeah. and like you're, you're writing about your life so do you find it easier to to write about those personal experiences than otherwise i think it's two different beasts essentially um yeah. there's because I've written Roots is, although it comes from, you know, personal beliefs and like things that I question and, and ponder about and are important to me, it doesn't, you know, I never really had that perspective. I was never like living off the grid in the campsite kind of thing. Um, but right. with, with Lighthouse Keeping, it's definitely this kind of deeper dive into what I hope to do for the rest of my life, um, and which is be super, super honest about things mm -hmm. and bring forth a perspective that people don't, you know, normally talk about or see. 
which I think is really the basis of what filmmaking is in general, is just kind of getting a glimpse into different perspectives because everyone's perspective is different on, in the entire world. So getting to see, you know, how someone feels about a certain topic is what film is. And there are certain moments where like, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, like sweaty and be like, is Lighthouse keeping like, am I being too vulnerable? Am I being too honest about like the way I feel? And while, like you said, it's not a biography, it's not like, um, you know, complete writing of, you know, events that happened to me. That was su super important that I didn't want to, um, you know, stress myself out in that extent of like having to recreate, you know, events <laughs> or anything like that. But, you know, you're still delving into these emotions that you, at least for me, you know, haven't been diagnosed with PTSD. It's emotions that I feel on a daily basis. So kind of having to put that on a platter and give it to an audience and be like, hey, this is the way I feel is a super terrifying thing. And I think a lot of um, a lot of artists deal with, you know, where is that line of does it become like masochistic if I'm like taking these things that are super, you know, painful and turning them into something else, but also me personally as a creative and I think a lot of different artists find that the only way you kind of move past emotions that can maybe be so painful and events that can maybe be so painful is turning them into something that you can look at and be like well at least this is beautiful and at least I made something I turned this into something that could maybe help someone else and maybe even if I'm in like horrible pain um, because of these events maybe I can make this art, you know, that changes someone's entire healing process of whatever it is. And I think we probably came come from a very similar perspective with lighthouse keeping and blueberries and kind of taking like grief and translating that into something, you know, that's digestible to other people and hopefully serves as voices for other people feeling those same emotions and going through those same kind of circumstances. Yeah, totally. And like, I, uh, that just you, I love that you said that. And it, and it made me think about we were just having a, a, a tungsten meeting last night. And I was talking about how, you know, we're we're gearing up pre production again for blueberries, because we're filming out in June. And so I'm going to revisit the script because a lot of things have changed against then. And I think I'm going to be a better writer now just because I've we've all had to mature a lot over the past year. Yeah. So I definitely want to revisit it. Um, but I was they were asking if I had gotten the chance to do that yet. They being Joe and Reagan, my fantastic co-producers at Tungsten. And I told them that not this coming week, but the next week, the week this comes out, I'm going to be going home for my grandmother's funeral. And it's the grandmother that Blueberries is inspired by. And I told them like, I think that will, and I'll be there for a week. And so I told them that will be a really good time for me to revisit it and get back into some rewrites. And Reagan, who is such a nice person and cares about, we all care about each other so deeply, but she was very kind and saying like, is that, are you going to be okay? Pretty much like, is that going to be too, too much to handle? You know, your, your grandmother's funeral and revisiting the script that is about your grandmother. And I, and I basically said like, well, what other time, what better time than to go through that? You know, like I might as well strap myself in <laughs> and, and go to that place because like that one is is a coping mechanism uh, is a way for me to to deal with this and to get through it but two it makes the story all the more better 
and then hopefully can have it connect with people more. And I'm sure you've had a similar thing um, with telling people about lighthouse keeping. I've told people like at SCAD that I don't know that well. I've talked to professors about it and I, and I tell them like, oh, it's inspired by this and this, and it's inspired by my own experiences. I told a professor at SCAD about it and he's, he immediately started opening up to me about how like, oh yeah, my mom had Alzheimer's late in her life and uh, it was really difficult and stuff. And this is a professor that I had um, spoken with and, you know, we had like a good relationship, but I, it really showed me the power of stories connecting with people and that's a very cliched thing to say but like it's so true you know and i think those are the best stories is like when you open yourself up it's such a vulnerable thing but then you realize you're not the only one that feels this way and other people connect to you through that and it helps the healing process um it's just really like interesting to to use those personal experiences that you probably otherwise wouldn't want to talk about and then to express them through film and then have other people connect with that is like a really beautiful thing, you know? Yeah. Cause with, I don't know, going through anything that's kind of traumatic or upsetting or, or any kind of thing that like, you know, upends your life in any sort of way. A lot of the time I've, I've heard people make the argument that, you know, making art out of something dark is almost like um disgraceful to the you know extert like circumstances but when you think about the ways that humans cope with you know different things that they go through in my opinion that's the best way to yeah. to do that and also like with circumstances like that anything that has to do with grief trauma sadness the only real way you like kind of move past those things is finding, you know, the sense of community and normalcy of the mm -hmm. human experience experiences and knowing that, you know, no matter how isolating something may feel, you as cliche as it is, you're not alone. And that's why movies like that are made <laughs> so that you right. can find that sense of community. And when I was, even casting Lighthouse Keeping, we put out a casting call on Actors Access. Um, and we got a bunch of replies and so many of them were like, hey, I dealt with this. I was diagnosed with PTSD. No one ever talks about it. Thank you for making this. Mm. And there, it was just kind of just like, even if you don't cast me, I'm so glad this is being made and that art like this is being made. Um, and mm -hmm. so... I don't know, just me as a creative and moving forward that I think is always just going to be something that I want to do is kind of create that, you know, so many experiences are universal, but sometimes they feel so shameful mm -hmm. and it, it feels shaming in itself to go through grief and trauma that we just try and act like it's not happening. Um, and the most healing thing possible sometimes is acknowledging that it's happening and finding people that mm -hmm. have also gone through a similar thing. Um, and I think a great outlet for that is film. That's not to say that like, you know, comedic films aren't important. I think they are. Right. Um, but I think just me personally as an artist, I like to find kind of this deeper meaning of, you know, breaking down almost the human spirit and experience more so than, you know, entertainment. I don't think there's anything wrong with making films for entertainment. I think it's a huge part of, you know, people find um passion in that 
And I think that's amazing. It just like me personally, I would love to make things that, you know, serve as cathartic releases for other people as along with myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And something that I also uh, go through my head about and I've talked to my producers about is like, specifically, you know, pre COVID, whenever we were in the final uh, revisions of blueberries and like, you know, about to go shoot it. I, I remember telling probably Reagan, um, you know, like people word spread around scad. This is going to sound like I'm blowing smoke up my ass. I'm not trying to, but like people <laughs> knew what blueberries is, was, was about. Yeah. <laughs> people knew that it was personal and knew that it came from my own experience. And like people connected with it because of that, you know, like, oh my gosh, you're, writing about this own personal thing like people liked it for that but i is as thankful as i am um and i really hope this doesn't sound pretentious because i'm not trying to make it sound that way but like i remember telling reagan like i want people to like blueberries because it's good i, I don't want people to have to know me and have to know my own personal experience and like all this backstory about what have I, what i have been through to to appreciate the films like in the same way that you know it is this uh process of going through something and extrapolating that through a story that is important to me. And like, I like talking about it and connecting with other filmmakers who do the same thing, but also I want a stranger to be able to watch it and still be impacted by it. So like that is because you can, I, I was worried personally that I was using the whole personal aspect of it as a crutch of like, um, well, whether it's good or not, it's personal and people are going to connect with it because of that personal aspect. Um, but I definitely, was making sure that I was in check. Like, no, I want someone who has no idea or even cares who I am to watch blueberries and, and be impacted for it. So, um, it's a really interesting balancing act all around, you know? Um, but you know, here we are a couple weeks out from shooting lighthouse keeping and, um, you know, filming an indie film during COVID times is very difficult. Um, I work on the COVID team at SVU. So I see how hard it is to, and how much money is spent to keep productions safe at the studio level. But it's also really difficult to do that at our indie level. And, um, you know, myself, I, there's a, a bunch of great producers on lighthouse keeping and we are overcoming hurdle after hurdle to make it happen. Um, but I was thinking whenever I was prepping for this episode, um, filmmaking is really hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's very difficult and it's very stressful and you want to pull your hair out um, and it's expensive and you know, all this things again, you were talking about how being able to make a film is so privileged and I, and I don't want to sound like I'm like, Oh, woe is me. I'm a filmmaker because like what a awful thing to say, but I kind of wanted to pitch the question to you. Why do we do it? Why do we still go through this process every time um, and, and keep trying to solve all these problems? Um, I think, at least for me, and I think it probably is the universal experience, um, is just, I think a lot of filmmakers um, have, are not necessarily born with it, but have cultivated this burning desire to say something, and, and that mm. their existence, you know, um, I think most humans deal with the, the idea that, you know, you, you have this life and if you don't make this kind of impact, then were you ever even here? And it's this thing that is so prevalent in film 
more so like if your you know films aren't getting traction and if you know it's not being seen by a ton of people then are you even making a film like it so much of it is this just like super personally connected um emotions to something that is completely a business that it's sometimes so so hard to navigate um I know I keep doing it because I know I have a lot of things to say and I think that Mm. um I don't know I want to keep saying them for the rest of my life um it's I think there are a lot of people in film um for people people who are in it for the right reasons who have gone through periods in their life where they felt very voiceless or that their voice has been really stifled in certain circumstances. And I know personally, I've gone through that. I, I know a lot of, of women and people of color in film that kind of regardless of the statistics to keep fighting to be heard. It's kind of just this insane burning desire to not let yourself slip through the cracks. Um, and to kind of change the world. I think everyone, maybe not everyone, I think some people don't want to change the world, but I think most people do (laughs) want to have like a very, very large impact. Um, And I know most of the time I feel that way. I I want to, you know, help change the world for the better. Um, And so at least for me, filmmaking feels like, you know, taking these ideas and concepts that I don't want to die with me um, and putting them somewhere so that even when I do pass on, they exist. Um, and that someone can know exactly what I had to say and feel because it still exists. Um, yeah, there's a super like existential meaning behind filmmaking, I think most of the time. And I think that's why so many artists deal with like, these super intense um, mental health issues a lot of the time because so much of your existence is tied to, you know, being seen and being acknowledged. And as a filmmaker, like you want your work to be seen, but because you're the director and you, and you wrote it, you know, that's, it's also you as a human being acknowledged and seen. So it's this weird tie to both your career and who you are as a human. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's probably different for everyone, but I do think it's more of a universal experience to kind of just want to have that legacy. You know, you don't want to leave this earth without saying everything you have to say. At least for me in my head, I almost visualize it as like a, this huge like long run on sentence that I'm trying to get out before I have to leave. Um, and I think it, that's what filmmaking is to me almost. It's just like, here's all these stories. Like here's everything that's in my head. Like I need to leave it here before I go to wherever I'm going kind of thing. I could not agree more. I (laughs) I am so glad, truly. I'm so glad you said that because I think about that all the time. Um, it's like a time capsule kind of, um, that you're burying in the sand for future civilizations to find. That's very pretentious, but, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like that. I have thought a lot about how, um, you know, I grew up on my parents' stories and I think that's where I 
found my desire to be a storyteller. Um, and I just want to take all of these hilarious and sometimes sad, but always like uplifting stories that are in my family. And I just want to freeze them in time and I never want to forget them. Um, and I just, I want to share them with everybody. I want to tell everybody about these amazing stories. Um, so it, it really is a self-preservation in a way. Um, and, um, uh, I just, I couldn't agree more. So I, I really love that you said that. Um, you, you talked a lot about how like in this interview and in other interviews that you want to tell stories, um, from about voices that are not often heard by audiences. Um, and I also really respect about the type of crews that you put together. Um, cause I know in our personal conversations, how important it is to you to have like women led crews and women led departments. Um, can you talk about the importance of that? And, um, I mean, I know lighthouse keeping, I think it's almost every department, uh, is woman led. So, um, can you kind of expand on why that is so important to you? Yeah, I just, I feel like for most of my life, I've mainly seen, um, men at the forefront of most things and i think that you know coming from a woman's perspective that it's i i understand the struggle that other women go through from such obviously an empathetic level that i know i would want other women to do this for me to kind of uplift me and put me in positions in which i have you know, influence. And we've gone through so many decades of it, you know, it seems like we've been living in this time in which, you know, women are starting to have more rights, but it's just because we haven't been alive for very long. The, you know, the time in which women have really had a voice has not actually in the grand scheme of things been long at all. And so it, becomes this thing where so much of media beforehand has shaped people's perceptions of reality. Um, and if we're only taking men's voices and that is what shapes our reality, then I think that lends to a lot of the issues that we face um, in any sort of, you know, sexist issue that we run into in any sort of avenue of society. Um, regardless of whether that's film. And so I think creating stories that, you know, are created by women, by people of color, because it goes, you know, both ways, people that haven't normally really had a voice. Um, you know, acknowledging my privilege as a white woman, like my voice is heard way more than than any person of color or, or a woman person of color. Um, but still at the same time, it's it's still not even really like, we haven't even gotten you know, like normalized this, uh, a woman's voice at all, really. And I think that it's super important to me that we just change the content that we're seeing and that young people are seeing. Um, I think a lot, it comes from so many personal levels of like, when I was younger and we for like a really weird niche um thing i could uh, like attribute this to is is almost when everyone when i was younger like 12 hated taylor swift because we were told by the media 
and through men's perspective, you know, that she had too many boyfriends and it was like this whole thing and women hated her and it was this whole thing. And we've graduated into this, you know, like level of self-awareness of where we're at in our society that we actually realize that she's a very hard worker and a good person and like none of that matters. But we were being told through this lens of a super misogynistic viewpoint and therefore we took it as our reality. And so I think that creating art, even if it's not about women's experiences, if it's told by a woman, changes the perspective and how we see how to treat women. Um, even when I was at school, I had such a hard time when I would see a lot of really young male directors write female characters that were so, that had no depth to them and were just a body in their script. And seeing things like that and, and knowing that men are given voices more often than women and opportunities to get that content out there, you know, other young men see the way that women are depicted that way and believe that that's, you know, the value women have. Media has such a, like a huge stronghold on how we view things. And I think that having stories, regardless of what they are about, being told through the lens of people that haven't normally gotten respect and, you know, creating characters that are in turn respected in these stories changes you know, young minds to accept that that is the way we actually should be treating people, I think. Yeah, I you hear a lot of um, criticism that is wrong, <laughs> in my opinion, of like people saying like, well, representation doesn't matter. Like, why does that matter? And it's always uh, most of the time uh privileged white guys saying that and it's like well duh you you've always been represented <laughs> you've never not been represented um so i totally agree that um that representation is is really powerful um and how we should like guide the next generation so as i've said multiple times we're about to shoot lighthouse keeping uh it's a two-day shoot it's right around the corner what is your biggest goal for the project um not necessarily like festivals or like um capital success or whatever but like what when you're when you're writing this thing and working on it and going through all these problems that we're that we're actively dealing with as filmmakers trying to make it happen what's the north star for the project that keeps you going on a on a selfish level i would say it's almost like taking something that at least for me right now still kind of hinders a lot of my daily life and, you know, hinders my emotions. It's almost like when something, you know, really intense happens to you in your life, you're almost like, where do I put this? <laughs> like, I'm just like walking around in my life and it's just like right next to me. And like, I never put it down. And so lighthouse keeping for me is like putting it down and being able to kind of put those emotions and not lock them away because it'll be something I carry with me for the rest of my life. But, you know, being able to kind of lift the weight almost and know that, you know, something was made out of something that did not feel good. Um, and I think there are a lot of people that I've spoken to who resonate with the story that have a hard time moving on with their life because it's hard to acknowledge 
that something or things like that can happen to you. Um, and it's not beautiful. It's, it's awful. And it's, you know, there's sometimes no way to turn it into something that means something. Um, and so I want to make something that also resonates with people that feel the same way I do in the sense that, you know, people who go through situations like that, who have PTSD from, you know, interpersonal situations, most of the time just want to feel like someone understands (laughs) and someone sees them because they've gone such a long time not being seen and not being understood in their circumstances. And so if I can emulate feelings that feel cathartic for other people and kind of be, I want someone to be able to look at it, um, you know, and, and hopefully not like resonate it on the same level that I would, because because that's I would wish it on anyone kind of thing. But if someone who has been through something like that um, can look at it and be like, yeah, I you know I feel seen, I feel heard. This is cathartic. Like I'm not alone. This has happened. Like unfortunately, but that feeling of you know community. That's it's so so important that you know, feeling of having people, a support system. And so many people don't get it after uh, grief and trauma of any kind. And if I can create an art that serves as proof of support from my end, then I think it will have achieved its goal in that sense. Well, Nicole, it has been truly a pleasure talking to you. Um, I'm so glad to be a small part in Lighthouse Keeping. I just am so glad that Tungsten is able to be a part of it and able to just to assist making it happen because I think it's a story that needs to be told. And my goodness, have you proved yourself as a filmmaker with Roots? You know, you you have done amazing things already and I can't wait to see the amazing things you do in a, in a couple of weeks when we film it. And I, I wish I could be there. I'm sad I can't be on set, but I know it'll be amazing. And yeah, I've just absolutely loved picking your brain about all this stuff and you know would love to have you back on in a couple years to see what other bigger and more amazing things that you're making so it's really been a pleasure and i i appreciate your time so much thank you i'm yeah i'm really excited to make this thank you for for jumping on my housekeeping uh, also my airpods died so if the audio sounds weird uh that's what's going on um <laughs> this is the backstory with that um yeah but Thank you for for jumping on Lighthouse Keeping. Obviously, I I have so much respect for you as a creative because I think that we've we have very very similar ideals in terms of the world we want to see and similar experiences I think in what we've gone through so far with the industry. And so, I have the utmost respect for you and what you're doing and will continue to support Tungsten for the rest of my life because I think it's amazing. So, it is a pleasure to be on this podcast. Well, that means a lot. Thank you for saying that. Audience, thank you for tuning in. If you listen to the audio-only version of this podcast, you should head over to our YouTube channel and check out the video version. We've thrown up some BTS footage from Roots, some Lighthouse Keeping concept stuff, and a bunch of other fantastic things that you can experience if you're listening to the audio-only version. Um, We've been putting a lot of effort into this podcast, and I'm really proud of what we've been making, and I'm really enjoying the video process of it, and we're making like these promo clips and everything. It's been a lot of fun, and we've got a lot more exciting things coming up. Um, I'm actually filming Monday, two days after this recording, I'm filming the announcement for something that is kind of big. 
So keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> keep your eyes peeled for that. But again, Nicole, thank you so much. Everyone links to Nicole's work and her social medias and all that fantastic stuff is in the description of this episode. Be sure to go check it out. Watch Roots and stay up to date on Lighthouse Keeping stuff because it's going to be good. And the next episode comes out a week from today, Monday at 9 a.m. So thank you everyone for listening and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye-bye.